You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. Today I want to talk to us about why grace works. Why grace works. As we gather here this morning to worship, we're going to leave and we're going to go to different parts of our city. When we get to our destinations, there's work that we have to do in our homes, in our jobs, on, in the arts, work. And we want our work to matter, don't we? We want our work to count for something. But how will it be counted? Do we, do we work in such a way that we expect that what we put out will be returned to us in like fashion, some sort of karma. We want to make sure that we've done enough to earn what we receive. If we're Christians, if we believe in and we are following Jesus Christ, is God requiring us to live in such a way that, in, that, that our actions, or at least our efforts, earn his favor and his approval in order for us to have a relationship with him. And as creatures who've been made to work, we've been made to accomplish, we've been made to create, we've been made to imagine, it's reasonable, isn't it reasonable, to conclude that God, too, values our work. He values our efforts. We want that to be true, don't we? All right, y'all can talk to me this morning. Do we want that to be true? All right. So in our, our text this morning, we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, just two verses. And in our text this morning, the apostle Paul, he's an apostle, he's a missionary, he's an evangelist. He was a church planter, a scholar. He was even a tent-making contractor. And Paul is writing to one of his young men that is that he's training in the ministry, and his name is Titus. And he is encouraging Titus to train, to teach the leaders of the church and the church community what it means to live a life that's motivated by God's grace, a life that loves God and loves our neighbor, a life of good works that proactively seeks the good of the people in our family, in our neighborhood, in our schools, in our city. That brings wholeness to our city that you all have been talking about. It's the kind of living that makes a difference in the world and shows the world what it means to live for Jesus. And so what we in the church would call a, a holy life, an exemplary life, a life that's motivated by God's grace. And Paul is going to emphasize God's grace as that motivation. So what is God's grace? We want to talk about that today. And how does it affect our lives? What does it do for me? What does it do to me? What does it do through me? If God's grace through hearing and believing the gospel is the motivation for my life, how does it work to motivate my life? of good works? How does it motivate me to do the things that I do, my job, my, my advocacy in the community, my relationship with my family? This morning, we want to talk about why 
grace works from just two verses in Titus 2, 11 and 12. Why it works to save us and why it motivates us to work. And here's how it reads in Titus 2, verse 11 through 12. If you have your Bibles or if you have your phones, you can unlock them to this text or it's going to be on the screen. It reads this way. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Can we pray? Lord, would you open our eyes that we may see these wonderful things in your law? Would you open our ears? that we would hear what you have to say to us. Would you prepare our hearts, O God, to hear and to receive what you are saying, that it would transform us to live in a way that glorifies and honors you, to live in that joy. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there's a lot of richness in this text, and we don't get, we can't get to all of it today, but I I just want to show us why grace works through two points. Grace works to save us, and grace works to teach us. It motivates us to work. Why grace works? It works to save us, works to teach us. First of all, grace works to save us. Paul says here in verse 11 of chapter 2 that, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It's appeared, and you get the sense that it's describing a moment in time, don't you? When you walk into a dark room and you see the switch on the, on the wall and you flip that switch, light gets into the room, and now you're free to move about unhindered. You're free to move about without bumping in, into anything. Light has appeared, and and. The grace of God, when it has appeared, it's bringing freedom. It's bringing salvation for all people. And I want you to understand that the grace of God is not an abstract concept. The verb that's translated as appeared here, uh, it's the same word that gives us our word epiphany. Anybody know that word? Epiphany, right? It, it, It describes the feeling that you get when you experience a sudden and striking revelation about something. When you make a scientific breakthrough or, or you discover some sort of philosophical concept or you experience a deeper understanding. Legend has it that Isaac Newton was sitting under a tree and just had the realization that the same force that was causing an apple to drop was the same force that was causing the moon to orbit around the earth. They were being pulled by the same force. He had an epiphany. The idea just appeared, just came to him. Or when you finally checked off that last item on your to-do list. Do we have any list people in here? All right. And you've finally checked off the last item on your to-do list. You've finally done everything that you were supposed to do. And you realize all of a sudden that tomorrow's coming and you still have more to do. 
Yeah, that sudden realization. Well, the epiphany might be that that's just life. And you learn that you have to trust God for who you are becoming in whatever you're doing and not just the accomplishment list that you can check off. That epiphany can probably save you guys a lot of anxiety, a lot of, uh, a lot of stress and distrust in God. An epiphany, something just appears. But in the Greek language, which the Bible was written in, in Greek culture, the root of that word describes the sudden appearance of a divine being on the earth. You know, the Greek people believed in a lot of different gods, and sometimes they believed that these beings would then come to earth and just appear as people, as human beings. And that's what this word describes. And, and this word in the Bible isn't really seen much out, outside of Paul's writing to Timothy and to Titus. He really likes this word. But another place we see that word is in the Gospel of Luke, and it's regarding the birth of Jesus. The epiphany or appearance here that Paul is talking about is Jesus in the incarnation, when God became man. Because Paul is teaching us that the grace of God, when it appeared, it appeared in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus, the Christ, is the personification of the grace of God. And 2 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10 says this. It says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And just below our main text in Titus, in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul says these words. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so in these verses, I want us to pay attention now to something very important, because did you notice that every time we're talking about the appearing of Jesus, we're talking about being saved by grace and not by works. We're talking about being saved by grace and not by our own efforts. It seems to be a theme because God's grace works to save us. If we're going to be saved from having to pay the penalty of our sins, we need grace. You need grace. I need grace. We need the all-knowing, all-seeing God who knows our hearts in every one of our sinful actions, we need him to be gracious, don't we? Amen. And the idea of grace, it, it's one of the distinctive features of Christianity. One commentator says that no other system of religious thought, past or present, contains an emphasis on divine grace comparable to the Bible. 
In no other religion do you have this, these words, as in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That, my friends, is the grace of God. Are you grateful for the grace of God? That a sovereign, holy God would lavish his blessings on us, his creatures, simply because he wants to do it. He's giving us the greatest gift we could ever receive, the gift of his son. And no compensation is demanded from us. I mean, think about it. No compensation could be reasonably demanded from us, could it? Because we weren't only undeserving of his son, we were deserving of eternal judgment in hell. Because our lives marred by sin could never be in a relationship with a holy God. And and even if we believed we were pursuing God, we weren't doing it in a way that would bring glory to God. I I know for me that uh, if I'm honest, I, I was more concerned with saving my own skin for eternity. I just wanted fire insurance from hell. I just wanted a golden ticket to get into heaven. Come on, I'm not the only one. And and Paul says that the grace of God appeared in Jesus Christ, bringing salvation for everyone who would believe in him and trust in him to save them so that they would not perish but have eternal life. We didn't work We didn't work up God in order to save us by his grace. He offered it in Jesus Christ. English writer Arthur Pink said this, grace can neither be bought, earned, nor won by us. If it could be, it would cease to be grace. And if we can't earn it, how do we access this grace? Well, whoever believes in him won't perish eternally, but will have eternal life. God's grace is a gift that you receive. It's not a wage that you earn. Can I say that again? God's grace is a gift that you receive. It's not a wage that you earn. It's not a loan. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, 4 says this, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You receive God's grace by faith. You receive God's eternal salvation, no less by simply believing in what Jesus Christ has done for you on your behalf. He came to earth and lived for you. He died on the cross for you. 
He was raised from the grave so that you could have a relationship with God the Father as his adopted child. He did that for you. If you would believe that today, I want to let you know that you would be saved for all eternity. Amen? I, I, I want you to imagine that you had a debt of $500,000. I don't know if anybody in here is like that today. Maybe you have a debt that just feels like $500,000. Amen? All right. But someone comes to you and they write out a check for $500,000. Are you feeling it? And they give that check to you. And they said, this is yours. I just need you to reach out and take it. It's yours. And, and, and you take the money and you pay your debt. And now you are debt free and you are totally in the clear. No more phone calls. No more letters. Credit rating is boosted. Let me ask you something. What do you have to boast about at that point? Anything? It wouldn't make sense, would it? You can't go around bragging that you had the power, that you had the skill, that you had the ingenuity, that you had the innovation to reach out and grab that check because it was given to you. You received grace, didn't you? Nothing more, nothing less. You were impoverished, but you received riches from another person so that you could pay off your debt. You were broke beyond belief, but now with no effort other than grabbing that check, taking it to the bank and paying off your debtors with money you didn't earn, you're now in the clear. You're now debt-free. Thank you, Jesus. But let me tell you something. God's grace is even greater than that because God doesn't just hand you the check so that you can pay the debt. What he does is he pays the debt and asks you to believe that he did, and that's it. But not only that, he puts you on his account so that you'll never owe anything ever again. The fact that you are now Debt-free is 100% due to Jesus and 0% due to you. I don't know if that makes you feel bad, but that makes me very happy. That brings joy to know that because of what God has done, because he has paid my debt, I am free. Amen? So who deserves the praise? Who deserves the glory for our salvation? It's not us. It's not you. It's not me. We have received riches from the resources of God and his grace made it all possible. Amen? So I'd like to propose a question to all of us this morning. Did you walk in here this morning with the expectation that you needed to clean yourself up, to figure out a way to pay off your debt in order to bring your life to Jesus? Did you understand salvation, eternal life with God, to be something that you had to be good enough to receive, something you had to be debt-free enough to receive? I want to give you some good news today. Well, here's the bad news first. 
you owed a debt you could not pay. But I want to give you the good news. Jesus paid that debt. And he paid that debt with his life. And he paid that death, debt with his death. That's good news today, folks. And for those of us who do understand something about the grace of God, I, I, I want to, can we ask ourselves an uncomfortable question this morning? Are we trying to take credit for our eternal salvation? Are we de denying God's grace by every once in a while we're trying to do something to earn God's favor? You know, when you, you, you do a good deed and you kind of feel like you're looking up to God and saying, hey, God, you, you saw that right there, right? You, you saw what I did right there, right? You saw that good thing I did right there, right? Even more frustrating for us, are we wondering why God is not blessing us more because we think we've done enough to deserve blessings from him? Almost that he owes us because of what we've done. But I've got good news for you today as well. You don't have to do that. Just believe in Jesus. And I, I, I want us to remind ourselves through his word of what he has done for us and receive his grace. Because when we receive God's gift of his son to us, guess what we receive? Everything. Everything. Because we're adopted into the family of God simply when we believe and accept by faith that Jesus' life was lived for me, that his death on the cross was for me, that he was raised from the dead for me, and now we have the privilege of living as children of the God of the universe. His inheritance is ours. And when we recognize him as father and, and, and when we go to him, instead of going to all of these other things that vie for our attention and vie for our affection, when we go to him, he provides us with peace. He provides us with joy. He provides us with love. He provides us with hope. It's the kind of hope that makes us not ashamed. It's the kind of hope that makes us certain of our future because we are the children of God. Amen? So would you receive that free gift today? Because I'm telling you, it doesn't just change your eternal destiny. It changes your life right now. And so God's grace works to save us. The second point in these two verses in Titus 2 is that God's grace works to teach us, to teach us how to work, how to do deeds that bring glory to God and impacts our world for good based on our relationship with him. He's our father. We are his adopted children. Now, every time someone receives a gift from someone else, it's grace. In one way, it's grace. And because of that grace, there's a change in the relationship. Sometimes that change can be negative. Because if graciousness is met with ingratitude, in then you have a fractured relationship, don't you? And if graciousness is met, uh, uh, let's say, for example, it's met with payback, I need to pay you back for what you're giving to me. That insults grace, doesn't it? And now you've got what's called a transactional relationship. It's like if uh, when you were getting married and you gave a ring to your spouse, Hopefully, you're not giving that ring and saying, okay, well, 
um, I need you to understand that that comes with an installment plan that you are going to be paying back for the rest of this marriage. Now, we may laugh, but that's the way our mind works sometimes, doesn't it? Oh, me. <laughs> that's how it seems to play out. It's transactional. But I, I want you to know that's not how our relationship is with God. That's not how grace works. His grace changes our relationship. And then we now live out of our changed status in the relationship. Because before we received grace from God, what were we? We weren't God's friends. We were his enemies. We were enemies of God. Now, think about it. Receiving grace from God, we are his adopted children. So we don't do good deeds in our city. We don't seek the wholeness of our city or in our homes or where we work or play in order to prove our relationship with God or in order to earn our keep with God. John 1, 10 through 12 says this. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And as his children, our text in Titus 2 verse 12 shows us that God by his grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Listen, where grace reigns, grace trains. Where grace reigns, grace trains. Trains. Grace works to teach us to say no to a way of thinking and living that's based on things that, that God hates, things such as injustice or unloving actions or withholding mercy from people or wanting what others have and wanting them not to have. Things like murder, things like uh, murder with our thoughts, things like unfaithfulness to our spouses in our hearts. God has graciously given us himself, and now we're a part of his, his family. Our identity has changed because God is now our Father and the Holy Spirit that is with us, that is in us. We have the privilege to live self-controlled lives with healthy habits that cause our lives to flourish physically and emotionally and spiritually and relationally, upright lives says, lives that are concerned with justice and mercy for our neighbors that causes our community to flourish. A life where your employers, <laughs> who really needs it, your boss, can receive God's grace from us. A life where our employees receive God's grace from us, where our clients receive God's grace from us and through us. And godly lives, lives that are pleasing to God, uh, not because our activity merits God's approval, but because our activity, everything that we do is now directed by God and is directed to God so that every, in every sphere of our lives, we're doing things that bring glory to God. That's a life that's motivated by God's grace. And that's why Romans 8.28, uh, thank God for Pastor Adam reading these texts in Romans 8. 
this morning. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And what purpose might that be? To be his children and to show his love and his grace and his mercy and his justice to the world. That's what we're here for. Amen? I'm going to ask the musicians to come up at this time, and I want to just mention this story, Timothy Paul Jones, in a book he co-authored called Proof, Finding Freedom Through the Intoxicating Joy of Irresistible Grace. He's telling the story of his adopted daughter. She had been previously adopted by another family, and the adoption did not go well. That family also had biological children, and they never quite integrated the adopted daughter into the family. And they would take that family uh, to Disney World and they would leave the adopted daughter with another family. And as far as she, the adopted child, knew, she was always left behind because she did something wrong. And she didn't deserve to go. And that family wisely eventually dissolved the adoption. And she became a part of the Jones family. So the Jones' new adopted daughter now, she had seen pictures of Disney World. She had heard about the rides. She had heard about the food. She had heard about the characters. And she longed to experience it. And so her new daddy made plans to take the family. And you know how kids normally get excited about going to Disney World, eh? And they start to go out of their minds pretty early. Anybody ever experienced that? You just have to tell them. But this new adopted daughter, in the month that was leading up to the trip, she just began to unravel. And Timothy says this. He says, she stole food when a simple request would have gained her a snack. She lied when it would have been easier to tell the truth. She whispered insults that were carefully crafted to hurt her older sister as deeply as possible. And as the days on the calendar moved closer to the drip, her mutinies multiplied. So a couple days before they headed to Orlando, her daddy put her on his lap to talk about her behavior again. And here's what he said. He said, I, I know what you're... Well, he talked to her about her behavior and said, why? Why are you doing these things? And, and here's what she said to him. I, I know what you're going to do. You're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? And, and her behavior now started to make sense. You see, she knew she couldn't earn her way into the magic kingdom. She had tried and she had failed several times. So she was living in a way that placed her as far as possible from the most magical place on the earth. And her dad asked her, is this trip something that we're doing as a family? And she nodded her head and said, yes. And he said, are you a part of this family? And she nodded her head and said, yes. He said, then you're going with us. You're a part of our family, and we're not leaving you behind. Isn't that great? And her behavior got worse. She spiraled all the way out of control, all the way until they entered the gates of Disneyland. 
But they got in and the family had fun. And later that day, Timothy describes the scene. Here's what he says. He says, in our hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, pensive, a little weepy at times, but her month-long facade of rebellion had faded. When bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her, held her, and asked, so how was your first day at Disney World? She closed her eyes and snuggled down into her stuffed unicorn, and after a few moments, she opened her eyes ever so slightly. Daddy, she said, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It was because I'm yours. Friends, that's the message of outrageous, amazing grace. That's how grace works to teach us. Are you rebelling against the God who wants to save you? The God who wants to adopt you into his family. Would you believe today that he is truly offering you himself and that he wants you to be his child? That all you have to do is to believe that Jesus Christ can save you because his life was lived on your behalf and his death was to pay for the penalty of your past, your present, and your future sins. And he was raised from the dead in order to give you eternal life and to give you relationship with him where he is your father and you are his child. Would you believe that today and through that faith receive God's gift of his amazing grace? Or maybe you've trusted in, child, in, in, in God already and you need to be reminded, reminded that you are his child. I want you to hear today that God is not, what he's not doing is training you to say no to sin and yes to a self-controlled, upright, and godly life just so that you can earn his favor. You don't have to re-earn God's favor. You just need to stay believing that he has done it on your behalf. He has adopted you into his family. I want you to believe it and live like it. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, our, our Father, thank you for the gift of your Son that we receive again from you today. It's your grace that saves us. It's your grace that changes us. It's your grace that changes us, that blesses us, that teaches us. Would you help us to stop living beneath our privilege? Because we're not simply your servants. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are children of God. We're not merely your friends, even though you're a friend that that sticks closer to us than any brother or sister ever could. Through your grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, Lord, you have saved us, you have washed us, and we've been adopted into your family. So we want to walk out here this morning ready to be used by you, 
go to our jobs with a new motivation to love our spouses, to love our children, to love our neighborhood, to love our community. Because we have new eyes to see them because we have received your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.